welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and however you may have found your way here, thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to Bethany C. Morrow all about her new book, So Many Beginnings, A Little Women Remix, which is described as four young black sisters come of age during the American Civil War in this warm and powerful ode to black joy and sisterhood, a YA remix of the classic novel Little Women. Tackling classics that gloss over certain aspects of American history is one thing. Remixing them in an honest and forthright way is something else entirely. Bethany takes this head-on in so many beginnings, delivering not only an incredible character study, but a historically accurate one about a black family who happens to be called March living on Roanoke Island in 1863. This beautifully written and highly entertaining remix is the definitive version of Little Women for me now, there's no question about it. We talk about a lot of stuff, including race relations, past and present, Patricia C. Clarke's Time Full of Trial, the Roanoke Island Freedmen's Colony, 1862-1867, some process... So many beginnings, of course, and how the minute you make the March Sisters black during that time in that part of the country, it changes everything. While this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices, and this should be done all year long. Um, September doesn't have a uh, predominant social media holiday, but it is the start of National Hispanic Month, Heritage Month, which happens September 15th. So please, uh, that coincides with the uh, country's uh, anniversaries of their various independent states. So please support Hispanic authors however you can. Of course, this should be done all year long. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter or have heard the show before, then you know I'm a fairly big fan of my next guest. Um, sit tight because I'm about to take uh, sycophantism to a whole new level. Bethany C. Morrow is an indie best-selling author who writes for adult and young adult audiences in genres ranging from speculative literary to contemporary fantasy to historical. She's the author of the novels Mem and A Song Below Water and A Chorus Rises, which came out early this year in June. Again, if you follow me, you know I'm such a huge fan of that book. Uh, I just love it, love it, love it. And as much as I would love to talk about that book all day long, she's actually here to talk about her newest book. It's part of uh, Macmillan's remixed classic series, So Many Beginnings, A Little Women Remix, which is described as four young Black sisters come of age during the American Civil War in this warm and powerful ode to Black joy and sisterhood, a YA remix of the classic novel Little Women. Please welcome to the show, Bethany C. Morrow. Hi, Bethany. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. We're going to pretend we weren't just talking for half an hour about... <laughs> about I'm just this. assuming that you're going to take sound bites from me. I'll probably take a, co- a little <laughs> bit of it, yeah. Because, But we are going to cover a lot of that stuff, though, sort of in a more official way, I guess. But uh, I do want to start off by saying happy almost... Uh, I guess by the time this airs, your birthday will have come and gone. But as yeah, of today, yeah. your birthday's... Ne- I think you said it was next week or something. Next week, yeah. Yes, so happy pre-post-birthday now by the time this airs. <laughs> Thank um, you. Are you a birthday person? I mean, you posted it, so you're aware of it. Are you a big... uh... I am. uh, I don't think I was a big birthday person until my family, my my then husband and our son, we have all of our birthdays in the same week. Oh, Um, crazy. So yeah, we just, it was Mara Palooza. And um, so it's always, (laughs) so it's always been a big, it's always been a big deal. Um, So we don't usually do individual birthdays. Honestly, we would, we would do, you know, something big um, to cover all three of us. 
Um, so yeah, it's still, I, I think that is the only reason that I'm, that I'm so into my birthday because it means their birthdays are coming up. That is cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Actually. I like that. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know where you live exactly. I won't ask, but are, are there like places you can go to celebrate open there yet? Or you still sort of have some regional lockdowns and stuff? Yeah, no, we still, I mean, no. Okay. So places around immediately around here, but this isn't really like my community. I came down from Montreal. Right. So I'm just in the nebulous area of like three different sort of two states and a, and a province. And um, my whole life has for the past 10 years been in Montreal. So okay. seeing as I'm not, you know, I'm not going at the moment. Right. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting a massage. That's pretty much my birthday. Uh, <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> that's, that's much, a good day. That's a good yeah, day. I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty much what I can do. Well, I've been on, I'm in Ontario and we can't even do that yet. So yeah, I mean, it's, there is one benefit right now to, to being in an area where there are people who have, who have gotten uh, vaccinated and, and are taking, um, and are taking precautions, but it's pretty much half and half here. So I just, there are some places that I will go because everybody is still doing it the way that they need to. And then there are some places I just avoid completely because you would never know that we had been in a pandemic. Yeah, that's, I'm Canadian. So I, but I watch a lot of American news, obviously. And uh, it's just watching it on TV, the way it's gone down there is just crazy. I, I mean, Ontario is let, we're a bit behind the rest of, even the rest of Canada in a lot of ways. As far You're as behind that. Quebec? Yeah, I think so. I think we are even a bit behind Quebec. I think we're the last to sort of fully reopen in some, in, for some instances. Now that oh, that's no, co- I meant, I meant behind in terms of like um, people taking vaccination seriously. People like you didn't in Quebec. I'm not sure what their vaccination numbers are. To be honest with you, I think yeah. I'm, I mean in Canada in as a whole, we're doing much better than when we started, obviously. But I think we're at first doses. We're getting close to 80% and uh, second doses, I think are approaching the halfway mark, I think. I, so uh, we're, we're getting a lot better very quick in a quick period of time here. But as far as reopenings go, uh, Ontario's lagging a little bit in that way. But Oh, uh, that I'm perfectly fine with. I, yeah, I no, no, I'm, I'm do it right. I much more comfortable with yeah. that yeah. than, um, you know, the fact that a lot of my friends had, didn't have the option of their kids not going to school and come right. it just the, right. the um, right. Uh, and I'm now trying to think of the word, uh, primary school, uh, just didn't close really. So, um, that was difficult. I was- That's yes. You know, Ontario, we did close our schools down. So we got to a point where we, we've had a couple of opens, closes, opens, closes. Cause our, our mm-hmm. premier is kind of a piece of shit. So he's like, <laughs> he kind of always like bends to the will of, of the right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, politics, 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 politics. Um, well, life. It's life, isn't Unfortunately, it? Unfortunately, yeah. I wish I wish we could say politics and just ignore stuff, but it's like, oh, you guys, what is politics? It's well, like, that's it's discussion of our life. It's discussion of how we're going to do stuff and who's going to get help and who's not. And like, who's so. somebody famous? I can't remember who it was. Said, uh, "Unearth every act is a political." Yep. Is a political. And what act, did what yeah. did uh, what yeah. did Hampton say? politics is war without bloodshed. Right. Now we can't even say that. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. As his, as his life proved. Um, so anyways, we're getting there. And obviously we wish anyone out there continued safe safety and then please follow the rules. And, and we're almost right. there. Like just, just a little bit more to go here and we can and we can get things uh, going again. I did buy a ticket and book a room for Yall Fest in South Carolina for November. 
and I'm not sure if I'm, I, I, I booked it just to book I it. Be, which I should actually, I should probably be at that. Um, I am taking my first retreat with my vaccinated girlfriends uh, yep. in Tennessee, which we're very excited about. But yeah, we will be basically going to this cabin and staying at this cabin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Completely but, uh, controlled atmosphere, control yeah, your atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then there's also the part that's like, okay, well, what was the point of getting vaccinated if we're not going to do anything? Um, you know, <laughs> right, and right, right. I'm the only one of us with a with a child, so I simply needed to wait until my child was vaccinated as well. Yep. Um, obviously, I can't be like, well, I'm vaccinated, so everything's fine, and then I have a kid at home who, like, you know, who's still susceptible. So, um, thankfully, New York um, and Vermont and the areas around here were like, you can. I think it was, I think they're down to 12 year olds now. Can be Same in Canada. Yeah. We're down to yeah. 12 now too. Yeah. So that's good. So he got it. He's good. And yeah. yeah. So that's, well, that's great. Um, yeah. The retreat sounds, that's, I'm so happy for a lot of these, you know, so many debut authors too, especially right. Missed out on all the fun stuff, right. Of being a yeah. debut author. Yeah. And then, but I think oh. y'all fest is going to be huge. Uh, I think so too. That's why I booked early. Cause I was yeah. scared it was going <laughs> to um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, uh, that it's going to be, things should be in better shape by November, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, one of the things that I, I really, really, really love reading reimaginings, remixes, retellings, you know, revisionist takes all that type of stuff. I really love seeing classic stories that were written through a certain lens, <coughs> white lens right. and remolded to, uh, properly reflect certain realities, certain truths right that have been either buried or just you know outright or lied about um what about you do you like is that something you like i mean i assume you like to write it you just did but do you do you like reading that as well well you know i actually don't really um i don't really read retellings or reimaginings and i would have never considered doing one until someone asked me to do one and it made perfect sense to me so mm -hmm. like um, pretty much everything that I've written in the last couple of years, though, if you had asked me six months before it, I, I would not have included it in things that I write. So, Especially um, a chorus rises, yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah. like, yeah. spite books only happen because of spite. So, um, <laughs> you, there was a line from one of the panels for that. You, like, I think you said you ordered it talking to us, right? Like talking to those people that were... Oh, absolutely. The, the shitheads, the, 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 the inspiration for the book in many ways. Uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and it's not who I ended up talking to, right? No, but no, no, reason, no, no. But it's yeah. like the reason that you end up doing it is like, oh, did you, you really think you're the last word on who this, who this 16 year old <laughs> black girl is? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, no, so for, as, for so many beginnings, um, Emily Settle, who is an editor at Bible and Friends, uh, which of course is an imprint of Macmillan. Um, she follows me on Twitter. We were talking about Twitter earlier. And one of the reasons that Twitter, that I have maybe a different relationship with Twitter is because I am so much myself on Twitter that I've actually gotten quite a lot of opportunities through Twitter. Um, right, right. Just through people, you know, following me and, and knowing who I am on Twitter and then being like, I feel like you might be interested in doing this. And mm. most of the time, if they come to me through Twitter, this is what's really funny. If somebody comes to me through Twitter, and ask me to do something professionally, which I'm on paid work, guys. Um, they're usually pretty accurate. They, they, they usually have a very good um, idea of who I am. Right. So she came to my agent and asked if I would be interested in writing at the time they were calling them reimagined classics. Okay. Or no, reclaimed, I'm sorry. They were okay. calling them reclaimed classics at the time. And um, we got on the phone and she 
specifically. And I think that she had to have seen me literally talking about Little Women. Right. And the reason I was talking about it is because I don't know whatever happened to this. Like there was some contemporary, I want to say television show um, that was based on Little Women. It was for sisters in modern day um and i and i don't remember if it ever happened because i just feel like it disappeared but i i remember seeing a trailer for it um, okay and then there was also the new the latest movie right, that was right. coming out right and i was tweeting about it because i was like you know what is hilarious to me is little women is you know this family who's what just sort of vaguely just like vaguely um considered abolitionist for some reason because their father fought for the north um and it's you know and they're the good whites you know that's that's who they've always been presented to be and the funny thing is that property has been used as a great cover for people who want to make lily white productions in 2020 right, it, right. all the way up to the year of our lord today like it's it's been used as like a oh well of course everybody's white if we're doing little women so you know that's that's the only reason like that's the reason that we're making yet another movie with four white girl leads um and i'm like at this point, it's the cover, okay? At this point, it's a shield. Like, it's the way for you in this era when we are having such, thankfully, loud discussions about erasure, about overrepresentation of whiteness, about, you know, the, the complete denial of Black American life outside of enslavement up until basically the civil rights movement and then nothing after that until now. Um, and so I was just like, I don't, I'm sorry, but I, I'm just going to let you guys know that I've clocked this. Like, this is no longer an innocent property to me. This is no longer like, oh, this is just a classic that we all like. No, because why would you make it so many times? You don't do anything differently, but you keep remaking it. Why is that? Like, how do you keep doing quote unquote reimaginings of something, but you end up with the exact same cast every time? Like, well, yeah, and that's a, that's one of the things too. Reading it and, and hearing when her f first heard about it, like they're not just a black, like it's like a black family who happens to be called March or, <laughs> right? Well, and that's and that's why when I started doing it, so I when we got on the phone, I said to Emily, like basically before before I even consider this, I need to know if you guys have parameters because I'm not doing it if you have parameters. Basically, right, like right, you yeah. know, you you're not going to impose any anything on it because you wouldn't know. You would not. I mean, right? Like, how would you know what the story needs to be, um, or what the story will entail? And I'm going to keep it in the same time period, but I'm going to change it to a different place. And one of the reasons that I did that is I didn't want to do what the original does, which is completely somehow celebrate the family for being good whites while also completely ignoring the the actual war, the actual reason for the war, the actual people who's who had something at stake, who had freedom at stake um, because of the war. So um, I didn't want to have it in the North and have this like, you know, born free black American family because um, one of the things that I really wanted to push back against is the fact that enslavement has always, in both Canada and the United States, been treated well when Canada even admits to having enslavement. Um, but it's been used as a way to pass the shame onto the descendants of the enslaved, not the enslavers. Right. 
but pass the pass the shame onto us. So we're supposed to, you know, you you can either do trauma porn, which is when people really want to see enslavement films, or you're supposed to renounce it and be like, well, my family was never enslaved. And I'm like, why would that reflect poorly on me, dude? Like that's that's something you did. <laughs> yeah. That's so I didn't want to I both didn't want to have a setting of enslavement, but I but I also didn't want to um, not have the, I didn't want to have the family have escaped this thing that most black Americans would not have been able to escape. Well, um, yeah. And that's a, that's such a huge, that's a huge part of this book and it can right. almost be summed up with two words. And it's a line, it's a line from uh, Joe. It's closer to the end of the book when sort of, you know, when you, you flash forward a little bit, Amy's a couple years older and sort of starting her life on her own. And she's starting to realize what the reality of what even living in Roanoke was living right. next, living near a contraband camp and all this stuff. And Joe just, and she's like, why, you know, she's asking Joe, you know, why this, why that, why this? And Joe replies, they won. <laughs> right. Like, that's it. That, you know, it's like, do you, oh, you almost don't even to say any more, anything more yeah. than that. That sums it up. And there's another, I don't, I don't, I'm, I can't remember what the line was, but it's to your point, you, you know, these white soldiers won the war, but they don't, care about you right exactly yeah and, and i i have said multiple times because you know when i was writing this uh and we're still kind of dealing with it but the fervor of course has gone down which is always really interesting but the the tearing down uh confederate monuments and yeah. and everybody's been talking about taking down these southern monuments and i'm like okay um i'm here to tear down your northern monuments as well mm-hmm. uh because there is not this dichotomy as ludicrous and you know you are a canadian so you're 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 gonna you're you're potentially gonna have some some feelings about about this but this for me especially as a black person who has lived in in canada as well um as as ridiculous as the mythology of an invisible border separating good white people from bad white people is right right, as ridiculous as that whole, we were the end, you know, we were the end zone for, for the um, Underground Railroad and therefore we're the good people. And then you're like, well, why aren't you talking about the Northwest Territory Act in which enslaved Canadians were moving down to the American North to escape enslavement? Like, right? Like, as, as ludicrous as that idea is. Well, we're learning, you know, as, and you're right. And a lot of Canadians think, thought that for a long time. Now you've probably paid attention that we're, lately Canadians have been made to feel a little uncomfortable about their past, right? More than the, I more mean, than, so, the, but the, one, be, the, one, the ones who can, but what we have to deal with is there's a mythology. Yeah. There's a mythology that is going to be very difficult. It is built for a reason. It's intentionally built. It is not something that simply telling the truth a couple of times is going to undo right. um, because it's socialization. And that's why it's such a, that's why all of this stuff is such a huge deal because telling the truth once or twice, if it were that easy, my life would not be as exhausting. Um, if it were just a matter of people not having the information, but we're talking about an intentional mythology, we're talking about an intentional institutional denial um, and omission, just like a culture of omission. So that's where you get really strange um, apologists arguments about even the things that we're that we're talking about right now right. even talking about residential 
quote unquote residential schools, which are just dead camps. But like, yeah, um, even talking about that sort of stuff, uh, you start to hear these really, I mean, Olympic stretches, just like Olympic gymnastics style stretches to to keep this national identity, this national mythology intact, and also explain this the presence of this. I've got right? a great, uh, I've got a great Olympic stretch for you. One person told me one time, this is going back a few years, but they were like, well, Canada was always better with um, the black communities than the States because I mean, this, isn't this where Jackie Robinson came and played first? <laughs> and you know, what's really interesting when they talk about Jackie Robinson, <laughs> I've read something that said Jackie Robinson went to Quebec yeah. because there was no Jim Crow. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. He, right. Not only did he experience it in like literally the person that they're using as a shield yeah. literally experienced it. Yeah. Um, but it was also, I mean, does anybody understand that like, again, there's no population of white people that is somehow better. Whiteness is the issue. It's not a heritage. It's a power conglomerate. So why would there be some section of that power conglomerate that was right. like, we're going to do things that are completely against white supremacy? They're not. <laughs> there's no but island of white there, people there is, that are great. No, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's no there's no nation of good whiteness. Yeah. Um, but there was the, uh, you know, the Jewish hospital in, and that's the name of the hospital guys, in, yep. in Montreal. Yep. Um, they had a relationship with Howard Medical School specifically, specifically because they did not want Black Canadian residents in their hospital. Right. And that was actually, I mean, that was every hospital in Montreal, but but the relationship was uh, was specifically like, okay, so it's we're going to pretend that you're going to this to this hospital, but really we're going to send you down to D.C. Mm. Um, and that, you know, so it's it's just amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Um what people will how much people will try to maintain this mythos that you're like it couldn't possibly be possible how do you how do you talk about the freed people colonies um in nova scotia specifically because that was the largest population of of free black canadians mm -hmm. um and they were there was a place that was one of the first um we can't say repatriation because these people were not from the continent of Africa. They were not from, um, and Liberia, of course, was was a, a nation that was sort of created by North America to send Black Canadian and Black Americans somewhere else. Um, but the reason that they ended up leaving was because they they had their town, they built their town. It was a profitable town, just you know, just like Tulsa, just like any other place, and it got burned to the ground. Right. And they rebuilt it. And it got burned to the ground again. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you're, if you, there's only so many times you can rebuild a town. Right, right. There's only so many yep. lives you can lose. There's only so many businesses you can see destroyed. Yep. Like, you know, so it's, it's just, it's so offensive. It's just so offensive. My son went to, uh, went to school, of course, in, in Quebec, and he was in a class where they were learning. They were they honestly learned more about the 13 colonies um, than than the other provinces, but um, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, yeah. And and the the teacher and I'm trying to remember. I don't want to I don't want to say the wrong teacher, but uh, not that not that Marie Claude would be such an uncommon name that you'd be like you'd know who I'm talking about anyway. But, right, right, um, right, right, right. But I just remember that she told him that he said, well, there was there was enslavement in Canada too. And she said, no, there wasn't. And, <laughs> right. and he, of course, you know, he's my kid. So, right, right. He, and he's like, yes, 
there was, it lasted for over 200 years. And then literally the same person, same conversation pivoted to tell him, well, it wasn't as bad as American slavery. Right. And he's a child and he started crying because, and, and I, and when this was told to me, you have to understand that I left my body. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and if you're wondering how soon I spoke to that teacher, it was immediately, um, but time and space was bent. Yeah. It was, I mean, listen, this, this <laughs> yeah. vice, it was, it was a matter of this vice guys. I bent <laughs> time and, space and I was just immediately in that room, Yeah. but um, he started crying and there was so much going on that, that, I, as a black mother, knew why he was crying. Right. You, can't, you can only insist so many times before you, the only black kid in this IB class, are disruptive, mm-hmm. before you get in trouble, before you get, right? So he just shut down because it was like, how do you, if somebody lies, you're being gaslit in your classroom, if somebody lies to your face and she's the teacher, what are you supposed to do? Well, I was like, that's what you have a mama for, because I showed up to the school with the hanging of Angelique, which is the story of a black enslaved woman who was tortured, interrogated and murdered for one of the great fires in Montreal. How did you have an enslaved woman murdered and interrogated and publicly desecrated, but you didn't have slavery? How did that happen? How do you make these two things the same. And this is this wonderful book by Afua Cooper, who is a Black Canadian um, uh, scholar. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it starts with that story and it's and it's largely around Angelique's story, but it's um, but it's about the 206 years of enslavement in Canada. Mm. Um, and I gave it to her and I was like, don't you ever, don't you ever lie to a Black student again? Don't you ever make somebody feel the way you made my son feel? How dare you? And what kind of monster? And there's a line in so many beginnings specifically because of this conversation. Mm-hmm. How dare you use comparative analysis when it comes to enslavement? How you couldn't you couldn't keep saying there's no slavery so you said it was a better slavery? Right. We were better masters. You know, and and Joe has that. She she. It's almost at the very beginning of so many beginnings, when um, when Amy uses the word master. Um, maybe it's not at that point, but she says something about there's no there's no good or bad where masters are concerned. There's you know. That's you know yeah, and that's one of the really 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 great things about this book is you present so many different points of view, black points of view. You've got some folks who are, you know, optimistic, some who are, you know, as far the opposite as you can get, right? See yeah. see the reality around them, understand what's happening. Um, and then some are just, they're just too young still, maybe to, like Amy was too young at the time. Right. Before, whereas, you know, um, uh, you know, her older sisters who remember such things, right? And yeah. especially um, um, Meg, right? Yeah who like really remembers it, you know what I mean? Who was a, who was a doll, a living fucking toy for her master. So, you know, and I, you know, there was, I wrote down a bunch of lines from this book and one of them sort of goes to that point you just made. It's like, it's, it's, it's difficult to let those who held the scripture hostage and warped it to justify enslavement and treachery stand as authorities on its meeting. 
talk about sort of that, how you put in so many different points of view and they're historically accurate for sure. Of course, how could they not be? And you get great lines like, you know, refuse freedom, except in, on its purest of terms, you know what I mean? And stuff like this with, you know, yeah. so from Laurie, who was like, right. he's like, no, I, it's got to be this way. He's like, why should I have to fight for something right. that, that's owed to me? That's that, owed to me. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's talk about sort of that, like this idea of how, yeah, it's like, it's, it's still, the wounds are fresh. Like how we, they're being asked to ignore what happened just yesterday. Yes. <laughs> right. And that lets you, I mean, the reason that it was so important to me to have live action black girls on the cover of that book um, and to have it in color because uh one of the one of the cover drafts actually that they showed me was like a sepia toned Mm. and i said absolutely not it has (laughs) it has to be it has to be fully in color i don't know if you've ever seen a picture of martin luther king jr in color i don't think i don't know if you've ever seen a picture of uh ruby bridges as a child in color but what's super important to me for people to understand is my father is 10 years older than Ruby Bridges. Mm. So the fact that you've never seen a picture of her in color is intentional. Right. It's trying to, it's trying to convince you that this is ancient history. It's trying because a lot of people will just seemingly forget. You'll see, you'll see color pictures of like uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. And it won't make you wonder, well, wait a minute, how come all the civil rights pictures that I see are in black and white mm-hmm. when color, you know, we're talking about a time when, when color photography existed and we'll still have, and we'll still have only black and white pictures specifically of black American moments in history and, and historical figures. That is intentional. You're trying to tell me that this is ancient history. You're trying to tell me that this is not pertinent to today. And the reason that it had to be live action girls um, and the, because as far as I know, I think it's the only live action color still so far. I think that we have about four covers for the series so far, and they are all, I think they're all illustrated. Which I've are only, I've, I've only read and seen uh, CB's book. I haven't seen yes, the other Crash covers of, yet. Yeah. Um, I'm, I know that the, the Robin Hood remix is definitely illustrated, um, okay. but I, there was a reason that I said, you know, this is today. Mm-hmm. This right. is re- right. this is literally relevant today, and right. it's interesting because it's like you know you're having people who are trying to battle, telling the truth about American history in classrooms. They're fighting that. They're saying this is you know these things are irrelevant and divisive, in the same country that's fighting to keep Confederate statues. The Confederate statue is the same age it's from the same era (laughs) and one of them has to be upheld and lionized and the other we have to get over i've got to get over this intentional dehumanization that goes on to this day that took on different forms to this day but you are allowed to keep a, a a statue of a traitor from a from a quote unquote republic that didn't even make it to prom. Like it didn't even last a high school length amount of time. Like, what are you, what, you know, it's, that's how you, that's how, you know, these are, there is no such thing as a good faith argument about this um, because certain things are just not up for discussion. So um, it was really important to me to demonstrate that there is a direct line. There is a direct line from 1863 to 2021. There well, is was- a, there's a direct line there. There's you can't explain 2021. You can't understand uh, outside of eugenics, 
outside of eugenics, you cannot explain the black North American predicament, the, the black North American um, oppression and degradation and dehumanization and de-citizenship without 1863. You can't do it. And that's something I thought a lot about when I was reading this book was what would somebody who lived in that time during that time through those times would think of today? And, you know, have we moved the needle the appropriate amount of time or at all? Of course not. According to the amount of time that has passed, because like, you know what I mean? Like, I think I agree with you. I think they would see today and be like, it's been how long? And things are still like, things are still the same. You don't have to ask somebody in 1863. You can right. ask my father who was right. born in 1944. Right. right. You can ask my father who was an adult during the civil rights movement. You can ask him what it looks like. You can ask him what it looks like for his grandson to be going through the same terrorization, physical, mental terrorization that he went through when, mm-hmm. when he could be taken into a police car, driven around the block and brutalized and then dropped off in front of his school. Right. If you, if you don't have to, this is, this is the thing. You don't have to go back to 1619 to say, have we come far enough? You can, you can literally go back to my childhood. You can go back to Mike Brown. You can, have we made enough headway since then? Of course not, because we're not all trying to make headway. Right. It's, it's not like, oh, we're all in this slog. We like to depersonalize the violence. We depersonalize the intentionality so that it's racism and there are no racists. There, there are no active parties except like one or two individuals that we want to sort that we're like, okay, we can all agree this is a bad person. I don't need you to agree that individual people are bad people. I need you to agree that whiteness is a power conglomerate that only exists for the subjugation of another person, of another people for the purpose of political and cultural power and monetary and material wealth. That is the purpose of whiteness. As long as that exists, of course we haven't made any headway. You've kept the enslaver and then you're like, okay, so good enough? No, of course it's not good enough. What are you talking about? We we have, you, you, you have observable conditions. You have observable conditions that are so disparate that there is, and a lot of people are like, well, how do you know it's about race? How do you ignore, how do you erase observable variables and then tell me to reprove them? Like in a world where you had enslavement, in a world where you had you know, lynching, in a world where you had Jim Crow, in a world where you have the, the prison industrial complex, in a world where you have forced sterilization, in a world where you have Uh, what was done with syphilis in the black community in a world where you have all of that. How dare you ask me to come up with a unique and new novel explanation for where we're at. You wrote a, a line in your author's notes and it says, the sad truth is that any nation would intentionally do the things ours has cannot be trusted to relay its doings. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I just, I think that is, I think, I think that's very easy to understand, number one. <laughs> I mean, if you don't, then you're one of the people you're talking about, right? It's, it's amazing, the people, the, the lack of self-awareness because the yeah. very people, the very people who materially benefit from this long-standing anti-Black campaign 
also feel like they have the authority to tell me it's not happening. You don't even have to deal with what they're saying. Just deal with the assumption of authority. Mm -hmm. It tells on itself. You are telling me this didn't happen. You are telling me that's why this isn't, this isn't what it looks like. You're telling me why I can't trust what I see and you are, and, and you're it, you're proof enough. You said, you said it's not, so that's supposed to be enough. What does that tell you about your assumption of relevance, your assumption of authority, your assumption of objective, uh, like that's, you're the person materially benefiting from this. Why would you be the person that we, that we look to and like, is this what's happening? Is it, is it, is it what it looks like? Right. And That's this, wild to me. That's wild. And, and this ties into, I think, the other part of your author's notes about during the process when you were doing your research and discovered Patricia's book. And you, you make the point that you, you know, and your partner took collectively decades, right, of, you know, of spending time at learned institutions. And then it's just now discovering a book like that. Yep. This is why Blackness is a marvel to me. And, and honestly just it just blows my mind there's something divine about about this like i i don't have any i was on the phone with emily and she was asking if i had any thoughts about what so many beginnings would look like or entail and i said i'm gonna set it on roanoke island at the free people colony and she of course had never heard of it and i don't remember if she asked me or someone else asked me where I had heard of it and I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea. I know I didn't learn it in school. I know I didn't, I know it wasn't a, um, I know it wasn't a formal instruction. I have no idea how I know about the free people colony. Um, and that's happened so many times. And this is the issue about like this almost like clandestine curriculum that black Americans have orally passed down um, and it's why it's so important to not allow academia to determine the legitimacy of sources because they of course will say oh it has to be written down and it has to be and it's like what did you do to the things that we wrote down right like if you get to determine what makes something legitimate you make it very easy to delegitimize everything else anything that you don't like um, but it's happened to me so many times where I was driving, you know, past a house that had blue um, bottles hanging from the tree branches. Yeah. And my son asked me what it was. And I was like, oh, you know, they're Hank catchers. And they, um, it's like they trap, they trap the malevolent spirits inside of the bottle. And then, and then when the sun comes up, you know, they're, they're destroyed or whatever, they're banished. And then he was like, and I'm like, yeah, it's like a Gullah Geechee um, thing. And I don't, I don't know if it's only exclusively that, but that's what I associated it with. And he asked me how, where did I learn that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you just, you, your elders talk and it gets in there somehow. And then you get to be an adult and you remember little snatches of things. And then you find it almost impossible to find out more. Um, a lot of, I, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say 100% of the white people that read this book 
a lot of things in here, if not all of it, is going to be a new revelation to them. Um, I'm curious, like you said, this goes to what you were just saying, how you, you know, you learn things, you don't even remember how you learn them, but you learn them. Was there anything else during this process that, that caught your breath? I, I think that it happened so many times. Um, there was, yeah, there's like, there was a couple of things like there's, one example of what you just said is like sundown towns. I've known about sundown towns for a long time, but I don't know why. Right. <laughs> because well, I really don't. No, it, it was no, before, no. and it was before the last couple of years, right? When we when right, from right. from Lovecraft and whatever else. Right. Like I've known about it for a very long time, and 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 not because I was like a civil rights marcher or anything like that. Like it's, well, you know, here here's here's why it makes sense that people would know these things. People were proud of this. Right. People were proud of what they did. It doesn't make any sense. Everybody didn't hide their white robe under the bed. You know, you have people who you, you have people who are still have this traitor flag. They're proud enough about that that everybody still knows what that flag looks like and everything, right? So I'm like, the people who did these things were. There was a fucking TV it. show about a car that had that on the flag. Listen, that everyone are, loves. People yeah. are proud of this. Yeah. So, yeah. so we get yeah. to 2020, and I'm supposed to believe that no yeah. white person is familiar with any of this stuff. I'm like, I know your yeah. grandpa was proud of it. What are you yeah. talking about? You guys took pictures. You had lynchings were picnics. You literally had, you know, you you sold postcards, immortalizing that you were standing under a man's body. Yeah. That you had cut off his genitalia, that you had burned his body as he was hanging because he, he needed to die of more than one way. Like, right. you know, these were sold in case you couldn't make it to the lynching, you can get pictures. So you're talking about a culture of brazen, a brazen violence of, of being proud of having the power to do this being proud that you could just see a black person walking down the street and if they're by themselves you know that you can pick them up and do horrible things to them and you know that there are no repercussions Mm -hmm. there was a pride in that so to have it be like oh well none of us know what this is anymore yeah right y'all told stories just like we tell stories i'm sorry People, Um, people pass that stuff down right one, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, a couple of things I really want to talk about. Number one was I did know a little bit about Liberia and you don't spend a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was doing a little bit of reading just myself and this wasn't a new realization necessarily, but one of the things that is, is worthy of discussion anyways is especially, you know, when through manumission, right, white slave slave owners were trying to were sponsoring quote unquote you know freed black slaves sometimes and even before they were freed in some cases forcing them to liberia forcing them to a place they've never been to they're not even from right and that's such a fucked up thing especially when you you know you factor in you know what the american america colonization society was up to and how it was mostly made up of white people at the time slave owners at the time yep um this idea that they you, you don't even give them that <laughs> right. You've already taken their history, but now you're kicking them out of the country. And the thing is that, again, for people who act like there's some huge difference between white people at the time and white people today. Yeah. 
I am a 38 year old black American woman and I have heard go back to your country, right. go back to right. Africa yeah. at different times throughout me, my entire life. So this curse, this, this belief, again, this authority persists. Um, this is my country. I'm, I'm shocked when people don't know that. This is my, my country. Mm-hmm. I built this country. Yep. yep. The ship belongs to me. Right. Um, so I'm always shocked. Um, I'm always shocked when people actually think that that has any power to me personally, to say that to me personally. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I built this country. This country would not exist if I didn't, if, you know, if my people didn't exist. So like, there's, when you look at, people have always tried to make it like, you know, they'll take a couple of instances of Black Americans who specifically wanted um, this sort of return. And again, we can't, we can't in good conscience call it repatriation. This is a country you've never been to. You don't even know if your ancestors would have been from this area. Um, but the, yes, there were a couple of people and I wanted to have a character or a couple of characters who did have a, a personal interest and who did think that the, 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 the rift was too great. And that also, why should I bother giving my life and my freedom to even try to create, you know, a better situation here alongside the people who could do this to me. Um, So I wanted to allow for that person to exist, but I wanted to be really clear about who the American Colonization Society was. Right. Um, I encourage people to really dig into that because it's, it's something. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, and it's, you know, and it, it wasn't popular amongst uh, the black communities. At it was all. not. It, so was not. I encourage people to look into that. It's interesting and as devious as you could imagine. Yeah. Um, and that sort of that conversation led to another one of the books that I have ordered. It, it, this is a little, I don't want to get too spoilery with it, but there's another character who um, falls ill and, and this leads to the medicine at the time. Right. was only for white people. Um, and their only interest was providing care, healthcare to white people. So th- this idea that there wasn't even, it's not even the, of course they had the fucking wherewithal to do it. They just didn't want, they didn't, there was no desire. It didn't I, impact them. It did Right. There was no desire to even, it never, it didn't, it's not that it didn't occur to them. They just didn't want to help right. black people. And the, the reason that this is a, and you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about because it's almost like immediately uh spoilery. Yeah, I know. I know. But yeah. I, I am that character and it's not, it was not different in 19, in 1999. Okay. It was not different. Um, this book is, I mean, it's not just, again, a black family who happens to be called March. The instant, you know, and and you wouldn't be an honest actor if you didn't do it the way that you did it. And of course, I'm happy that you did. Um, And you can't put them in this time period, in this place, and a black family, and like you said, make it, uh, you know, happy, fun, good time. Because it- Well, I think think it is a happy, I think it is a happy time. And I think that's why it's the most, I think this book is, I, th- I think I think I think I meant without acknowledging certain realities, right? I couldn't tell I couldn't tell the white march story. I right, couldn't make right, them black right, and then just tell right. the white march story. Um, but I think that the thing that I am obsessed with this story for, the reason that I am obsessed with this story is because I honestly let 
particularly from the work of Patricia C. Click and actually seeing what Black people said in, in their own publications and in their own journals. And, you know, I, I really was led by the joy of Black American people. And uh, particularly, I mean, the privilege of being in an intact family unit in 1863. Mm-hmm. Right, I really right. let that inform how grounded they would be and how, how um, emotionally intact they would be um, because of this great, um, almost impossibility. Um, and so I, it's one of the hardest in terms of the reality that's being discussed, it is one of the most incisive things I think that I've written, but it is without a doubt the gentlest thing I've ever written. And that, I think that the reason people, um, all of the early readers are responding to it the way that they are is because I, there's, I really have no explanation for that. It, right. it is extremely honest and it is extremely gentle um, with the with the, with the the women, with the cast, with the the people involved in the story. And the easiest way to do that was to focus on them and focus very insularly on Black American people. A lot of times people don't understand why it's not great to like, okay, just take a Black person. Okay, you can have a Black main character, but surround them with white people and make sure that all the other characters are white and make sure that all of their love interests are white. And I'm like, you know, that's where the violence comes from, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if you want to tell a story and, and show joy repeatedly and show safety and show, you know, and this is not my, this is not my doing, this is not my fault. You can't get mad at me for telling you that your house is on fire. Um, <laughs> but it's literally like the, the easiest way to make sure that I'm able to just sit in their joy is to be with them is to be surrounded by the Black family and have very, very few instances of anybody else being a part of their everyday life. You have this thing that's obviously happening in this nation. You have everything that they've gone through. Um, But I make very certain not to always give people names. And that's one of the ways that I steal their agency in in the story is, yes, you're going to see what some brief moments of what Meg can remember, but you will never know who this girl is. Yeah. That's, that was really probably just cause I read too much, <laughs> too much fiction. Right. But I kept waiting for like that to sort of come back around right. you know, no. in, in the way, you know what I'm talking about. Right. But like, right. I'm glad it didn't, but you, right. you know, that's why you're a writer and that's why I talk to writers, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like, you know what I mean? I just read too much, uh, you know, other stuff, uh, nonsense, yeah. but, um, uh, those are the decisions that you made in this story that make it, and of course, separate it from the Little Women that. Oh, one hundred percent. Right, I, that people, and that's I tell, this is not a reimagining. No, you right, you yeah. Cannot, you cannot just you can't take a story about white privilege, even even genteel poverty white privilege. Yeah. You can't take a story about white privilege and then just make the characters black and then tell that story. There is, I didn't create race. White Americans created race, right? So like you created race, therefore you made sure that it delineates experiences and conditions. And so the conditions would be very, very different. Um, To that point, I'm sorry. I was going to say like to that point, the best example I think in the book of that 
I can't even really say it because it does, this is where you do steer away from the source material for sure. It's something that happens with Joe, you know, near the end of the book, a decision you make with Joe. Yeah. That is different from the source material. And it's to what you just said. You wouldn't be honest if you went the other way. Right. Right. And, yeah. and the other thing is I don't, I don't even want, and I've talked about this a lot, um, with with CB um, and and when we've spoken to educators and things already because we have had so many amazing opportunities to to talk to people about these books already there's so much buzz about these books and it's really awesome but we also say you know these are not we didn't write these so you could put these quote unquote in conversation with Louisa May Alcott's Little Women right. I wrote this so you would understand that her book is propaganda. I wrote this so you would understand the violent erasure of writing a book set in the Civil War, claiming to be the quote unquote good guys and never engaging with the lives of black people. What we want to demonstrate is that it was wrong for these to be heralded the way that they were. I'm not trying to get on a reading list with the original Little Women. I am trying to get us to move away from Little Women. Right. Uh, a comp or a wreck for that book shouldn't be yours. And, and it should be the way around. And, and, and to be very yeah. honest, when you, when you get work like this, when you have the, the privilege of getting work like this, the only right way to comp this book is with nonfiction. Right. Because you can't understand this book based on the education and the, and the mythology and the propaganda that you've ingested. You can't understand this book. Um, so if you really want to engage with this book, you you need to you need to do fiction nonfiction. When you're reading authors, uh, particularly when they're when they have any sort of historical context, um, but even but even otherwise, when you're reading authors who uh, come from an identity and a a, um, a a community that has been erased or lied on or any of that kind of stuff, you have to read it along with nonfiction that 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 touches on that by again by scholars of that same community. Um, that's the only way to really grow in your cultural competency and in your in your literacy. This um, that's one of the things in my notes. I'm staring at it right now. Is that this book? This is a nonfiction book, <laughs> right? And, and to to for all the reasons you just said, and yeah. and I like because that's a, it's a really I think you can start there. Start with that idea, and then once you read it, of course, take pleasure in in the beats and the and right, your and your right. amazing storytelling, and 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 yeah, and some of the like you said more genteel, softer moments, which are you know family the like the the moments instances you have in this book are you know with the family, the marches themselves, and even once the sis sisters sort of you know conquer or break up and and conquer and divide and conquer and yeah and 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 pair off and have their moments with each other, and you sort of like it's like the, that stupid game on the street, you know, where you move the cups around or whatever, <laughs> like, you, you know, it's like you're, you're, you you do that a lot in this book and it, and it, and it's so great because it just provides even more perspective on so many different things. And uh, it's so it's, that's what I'm saying. But so yeah, start, I, I would, that would be my recommendation is start, start from a nonfiction sort of put yourself in that headspace and then let, the, then let, and then let your beautiful storytelling sort of, and it'll, it'll, right. it'll warm you, it'll envelop you. And I think that's, I think that's a really good approach to it. I, I would love for people to read Patricia C. Cook's um, yeah. work. I can't wait to get mine. I can't wait. Time yeah. full of trial. Um, yeah. It is, you will be shocked at how much information there actually is and how there is one source. Mm now yeah, so right. it, it's like this, this is not information that should have been she had to excavate it but it's not because oh we just don't know these things no we knew these things 
Right. We just didn't want you to know these things. Right. So when you when you get this book and you realize, I mean, she, she just does an amazing, just an absolutely beautiful job. And I really hope that people are going to be ordering that book alongside alongside so many beginnings. Yeah, I mean that's that would be great. And I mean, like if if we can get it to a position where somebody like you who lived and died in academia and and uh, wasn't even aware, <laughs> it's just crazy. And and again, the other book too, I, I found out about Anneker Speaks, a history and poems um, by Dominique Christina. Uh, Christina is uh, I can't wait to get that one too. That one goes more towards some of the stuff I was talking about the healthcare. At right. the time yeah. and and yeah. some of the fucking why black people don't and shouldn't trust the healthcare system right. Right. In, in you know in most countries in the world but uh that's probably not that's going to be a, a, a difficult but important read as well and so that's another one i would definitely encourage um i think all this again to sort of summarize some of your points at the end there i think we'll end it with your final quote not just in, 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 in the entire book, basically, at the, the end of your author's notes, you say, my deepest gratitude to the true historians doing that work so that I can do mine. I mean, Absolutely. that's it. I think that's it. And, and yeah. if I can sort of echo that, I'm my gratitude to you because I've mentioned before with you and some other authors that I'm quite fond of. I really appreciate it when I read something and it makes me a better person. And, you know, your work does that for sure for me. And this book did, for sure did that. So Bethany, I can't thank you enough. Um, this will air the week of the release at some point. So everyone, the book is either already out or it's going to be out in the next day or two. So get this book, um, Clash of Steel, C.B. Lee's book. Her take is fantastic yeah. as well. I love that one. Um, and then look forward to the other ones. I'm looking forward to um, Anna's Great Gatsby remix. <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah. to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's going to be a good one too. So um, thank you so much, Bethany, and uh, all the best on the release and the rest of your year. Thank you, Steve. There you have it. Another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Bethany for taking the time to chat. This is an immensely important book that I should point out. is also beautifully written and highly entertaining as well. So Many Beginnings is out now, so pick up a copy wherever books are sold and head on over to bethanycmorrow.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. <laughs>